under underside. <laughs> the and then it'll be cold on the top side. <laughs> Let me ask you this. What's cooler than being cool? Ice, Ice cold. cold. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> I fucking loved that song when it first came out. I was oh, like a dick. Such a fun song. Who didn't? That I was always, um, I don't know, I always leaned more towards Andre 3000. I, I was never like super into Outkast as a group, but I, I, I don't know, there's just something likable about Andre, I felt yeah, like. Yeah, he has a he has a, an energy about him that's that's uh, alluring, I guess, in a way. Like, yeah, he's likable. Actually, I was, uh, we're, we've, been, we've been catching up on Walking Dead lately, and we're currently in season 10, which is last season. And um, I guess last year, or, you know, I, I guess this would be like early 2020, they were promoting some other show some supernatural show on amc with uh, jason siegel and it had andre 3000 in it and when i saw that had andre 3000 in it i was like i'm interested now Hmm. because i like him why i I don't know still acting i haven't seen him since be cool i think (laughs) wow yeah apparently he is and uh i don't know if what he's done um since the pandemic but this is immediately pre-pandemic basically because we're mm-hmm. just getting to the point in walking dead and we watched talking dead afterwards too which is the talk show the that happens after walking dead mm-hmm. yeah and uh um we're 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 on the last episode or two that's actually in studio and then all the episodes after that say from home so you know that the pandemic has <laughs> the lockdown has begun and so immediately the audio quality is going to be a lot shittier than right? ours which yeah, is pretty I'll, awesome <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. I'll let you know. I'll let you know how much worse it is. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I've told Michael this entire story before, but I wanted you, Steph. Mm-hmm. I specifically saved this topic just so that way you can explain it, because I know you remember it more vividly. But please tell us about the David Bowie is a God story. <laughs> <laughs> David Bowie. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So... <laughs> So I had a friend who um, had past tense. Is it? She, are, yeah, are you she not... she was actually murdered in 2010. Oh yeah, my like no joke. Yeah, no joke. Oh my god. Um, yeah, that was that was nuts. That was nuts. She wow. she was a. Uh, it was it was crazy. It was a crazy story. It was actually like all over the news for a while while they were um, finding the the killer and stuff like that. Oh my gosh, that's um, right. I, I think Eric kind of mentioned something about this before to me. Yeah, I think I just said something like I, I actually knew someone that got murdered, and it was, I didn't it was tie it together. Gruesome. Yeah, yeah, I didn't tie it together. So she was she was a dancer, and she went to um, an arts an arts high school in Orange County. Oh, I think it's just called like Orange County High School of Arts or something like that. Hmm, okay. And so you know, there's dancers, there's singers, there's all kinds of like various eccentric artists and musicians and stuff like that. And so she. Um, would kind of attract those types too. So I don't think he went to the school, but he was a musician and I, sw- I swear he kind of looked like, <sighs> I want to say he looked like Pete Wentz a little bit or something. Yes. Like I was just going to say, okay. you know, who he reminds me of is like a, a Kmart version of Pete Wentz. Yeah. So he would always be around with his guitar uh, and he was always playing music. Uh, and so um, she, she dated this guy briefly and not very long. I think it was just a couple months or something. And I, and he come he it was actually my birthday, and we and I was in college, um, and so we had a little mini birthday party, um, and then we went back. We were just like chilling in my dorm room, 
and he's there with his guitar and he's you know we're just chilling he's playing his guitar eric's there um julie's there and my my friend that was murdered and um and this guy and then my best friend and her boyfriend at the time who whose name was sunny is sunny this one is 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 you know. gotcha yeah. <laughs> um and so we're all we're all chilling is it and i think there were a couple of maybe a couple of other people too but they're, they're not relevant to the story so um at some point sunny starts dissing david bowie and you know regardless of your opinion of him to, to each their own whatever he he's not a david bowie fan so right. he starts dissing david bowie and this guy the boyfriend with the guitar uh-huh. i want to say his name was dominic or something like that he stands up dimitri or something dimitri like that. yeah you're right it's dimitri okay. okay so he stands up walks up to sunny smacks him in the face points at him and it's like david bowie is a god <laughs> and this is keep in mind they had they had just met like 10 or 30 minutes or whatever yeah exactly like they'd known each other for an hour tops and the room was just silent and what? later on later on he was like sunny was like if it wasn't your birthday, I would have beat his ass down. <laughs> who, who the fuck does that? He, you just met this guy, and he's gonna walk up and like, I mean, it was it was like a fake slap, you know? But yeah, it like, was like still, a little like, like weak little slap, just like a. But you're just uh, like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, I don't know you at all. We are not take cool him out. That. He didn't take him out like Will Smith did to uh, Chris Rock. No, it wasn't he, like that. It was <laughs> just so like weak. A, uh, okay. It was no Will Smith snack. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it, it was, we were all just taken aback. I mean, wondering David, what was going to happen next. Everything went into slow motion. First of all, David Bowie is a god, let it be known. Uh, <laughs> so, yes. And I, uh, I, I, he's going to reach through the, the camera and slap both of us. Right. I appreciate, right? <laughs> I appreciate his conviction uh, in, in, you know, making sure that other people know. But, serious um, loyalty right there. No, some serious loyalty. But I would say, uh, you know, he that's 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 a poor read on the room and <laughs> like why that's he's taking something personal that was just this other guy's opinion. Like okay, yeah. so you feel like David Bowie's a god, cool. So yeah, that was the the story of the David Bowie's a god. Because um after I told Michael that story, like we still kind of like make uh subtle references to that yeah yeah at least uh, uh you know doesn't. once a month maybe yeah, a at least, yeah at least it has to come out at least once a year somebody has to say david bowie is a god that's just a <laughs> lifelong quote now i don't really know what to call these episodes like these i i just kind of like keep changing the terms but it's like tripod episode trifecta like i don't know what do you guys think like we should call these episodes where all three of us are on there probably not tripod try try <laughs> triumphant triumvirate <laughs> trinity trent trent taverit i don't know triforce we gotta get cracking <laughs> let's crack it let's crack this baby wide open how you doing everybody welcome to afflictionados podcast episode 14 this is our one year anniversary people ooh, a ooh. one year anniversary Wow. <laughs> My name is Eric, and the other voices occupying your head this time are now a mother of three, my sister and a co-host, Stephanie. Hello. And a man of many trades, my good friend, colleague, and co-host, Michael. How do you do? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to all the listeners out there for joining us. Available on all major podcast streaming services with new episodes dropping on the first Saturday of each month, 5 a.m. Pacific. 
Afflictionados is a monthly podcast where we primarily talk about films that range from mind-numbing to mind-blowing. We may also cover TV shows or other forms of media. It goes without saying we will be getting into spoilers here, and there will be only the healthiest amount of expletives tossed in. You have been warned. Now, if you're ready, then get ready, because in this anniversary episode, we have a very special treat for all of you. We will be discussing the love story that captured the hearts of America, considered to be one of the greatest films ever made. This episode is all about Casablanca. Yeah, baby. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure we do this movie justice. You know, a lot of people consider it to be their all-time favorite movie. Yeah, we were talking about how it's either this or Citizen Kane, and I have no idea what the heck Citizen Kane is about. I feel like they they kind of bounce back and forth. Like it's like those yeah. two are always the top two, no matter what. Yeah, that's a good one too. I'm excited to jump into this movie. This is something that <laughs> it kind of goes against everything that <laughs> uh, I stand for when it, when it comes to movies. I'm like anything before like 1980. I'm like usually not about, but Casablanca came out in 1942. I think this might be the oldest movie I've ever watched so far. Wow. Directed by Michael Curtiz. Casablanca is set during World War II. It focuses on an American expatriate who must choose between his love for a woman or helping her and her husband, a Czech resistance leader, escape from the French-controlled city of Casablanca to continue his fight against the Germans. Yeah, for those that don't know, like um, I guess Rick's story works is that he's someone that chooses to indefinitely live in another country and i i guess he's not allowed to go back to america or he just chooses not to i'm not sure like what the the whole situation was with rick but yeah i was wondering too because um i noticed i know that it mentions that he does some stuff like you know the weapons in ethiopia and the he like fought in a couple battles the spanish right? civil war yeah he fought. yeah the spanish civil war and stuff and but i'm i don't think that is the reason why he couldn't or isn't going back to america and then at the end where he's you know telling telling ilsa that he'll go with her and stuff maybe it's just a choice because she i mean she would have known if he couldn't go back i think typically expatriates are they have the option to go back to their native country but they willingly choose to live and and kind of like because if you can't go back you're more like a refugee right I mean, in in this movie for sure, I think he. Oh yeah, in Casablanca, most of the people are refugees. Yeah, exactly. But, That's um, almost it's questionable like... whether Rick is necessarily. I guess he's a refugee of Paris because he fled Paris to oh, true. Casablanca. Yeah, and and we don't know. Like maybe he was he was living there, you know, indefinitely as well until he had to to flee because the Germans were invading. Right. Right. Yeah. He. It seems. Uh, to me, it seemed that it was more of a, on a permanent basis. Um, he seemed pretty, pretty bummed. Um, I remember at one point about living there. He, he, well, some bummed that he couldn't move back. Um, bummed because, of course, he w- had been in love, and uh, and of course that didn't work out. And then, right, right. And then, really, then he was just totally crestfallen. And then uh, I remember at one point, uh, Renault, uh, the police captain, talks to him about him going back, and he's just kind of like, no. Nah. Nah, dog. He brushes it off and is just the way he brushes it off is like you can tell there's like a disappointment. Like he kind of down, he kind of brings his eyes down. Is like, no, I can't, I can't do that. That's the thing about him was I, I noticed that the movie. Um, and and for those of you who don't know, Rick, uh, who we're talking about is Humphrey Bogart's character, Rick Blaine. 
and he's the the American who who runs and owns the nightclub called Rick's Cafe American in the city of Casablanca, Morocco. It's kind of interesting because you he doesn't really he keeps himself very guarded from everyone. He doesn't r- really tell anyone anything. He's really neutral about everything, his stance on everything. And he just kind of wants to stuff go on. He doesn't. I never stick my neck he, out for anyone. He says he, he just yeah, is he out always says he says that a couple of times. I don't stick my neck out for anyone or does, is it just the once. I don't know. But he, and he won't even have a He won't have a drink with anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's, he's very just secluded and huh, honestly, he just kind of um, self wallowing. <laughs> he always has that dark cloud everywhere he goes. And mm-hmm. the thing yeah, is, it's true. He kind of seems like he's just wallowing in his own misery. Mm-hmm. It kind of gives a mystique to rick you know people are like man i want to get to know this guy he seems like a cool cat but he doesn't really talk to anyone exactly well before we get into the the movie really quick i just want to run down a couple interesting uh bits of information about this movie the screenplay is actually produced from a a stage play which is called everybody comes to rick's that was uh, developed by murray burnett and joan allison so um people actually uh, wanted to create a, a stage play initially, and then it eventually just snowballed and evolved into a motion picture. One of the, the greatest movies of all time. Mm. And the film was shot entirely on the Warner Brothers studio in Burbank, California. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Ex- well, except for the, the airport. Bit at the end, the airport, because that's Van Nuys Van Airport, Nuys. right? Correct. Wow. And in its initial American release, Casablanca was a... Substantial but not spectacular box office success. It earned 3.7 mil. So I don't know if it was like destroying everyone, but it did well for itself. And I think mm-hmm. it just continued yeah. to do well over time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And its reputation has grown over time, you know, to the point where its lead characters, memorable lines, and pervasive theme song have all become iconic. And it consistently ranks near the top of the list for greatest films in history. Were you going to say stuff? I was going to say one thing that I found interesting is that it's a movie about World War II that was actually filmed during World War II. Mm-hmm. So there's there are a lot of interesting uh, little aspects that go into that. Like uh, we were talking about earlier that only three of the cast are actually American actors and the rest were um, uh, largely actual refri- refugees from the war. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so... Um, the you know the emotions and whatnot that you see in the movie are real hmm. because it's something that was going on at that time to these people you know mm-hmm. particularly the part where they're singing ah that's what i was thinking too yeah yeah where the germans are singing and then everybody else well you know laszlo comes in and strikes up the band and they start singing what is it the french uh, national anthem mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. or iconic french Vive song. la france yeah, and uh, you know they all—they're all singing, and everyone's getting all emotional, and it shows Yvonne, and she's crying, and she's just an emotional drunk, right? No, but I—you <laughs> I, know—I read somewhere that 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 emotion within the actors was actually real. They captured real emotion because it's something that they were honestly, really, actually experiencing at that time, being a refugee right. from the war, mm-hmm. and um, you know, having that moment against the having that one little moment against the. Germans, the the little little ways that they can stand up against them, I guess you know, and show their. So who who are the three Americans, like the actual Americans in the movie? 
I know Humphrey Bogart was one of them, and then it was two um, more minor characters. I want to, I want to say it was the actor who played Sam. Uh, yeah, I think, and I'm gonna look it up. And the third American character was the piano. Third American. <laughs> <laughs> huh. I wonder. Yeah, the pretty... piano that did a good job of, of hiding those papers for a little while. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it was Peter Laurie. Maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe it was Peter Laurie. He's got that really strong accent, though. I don't know. He may have been <laughs> from wherever he's from. Hey, Rick, uh, you like me. I know you will. Oh, it was uh, Humphrey Bogart, Julie Wilson, who played Sam, and Joy Page. Who's Joy? Yeah, she just played a a Bulgarian refugee. Oh, Bulgarian. That was the that was the young girl. Oh, the oh, young girl that yeah. she that she was, was uh, that he gave the money to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was gonna have to trade uh, sexual favors for freedom, and that's right, what she right. was yeah. alluding to with with Humphrey Bogart, where you know, and Claude Rains' character is <laughs> skeezy like that, but right, funny too, tricky. The funny thing is, I was telling my husband the first time I saw this movie. So much stuff just went over my head. I don't know if I just wasn't paying enough attention or what. You kind of have to pay, yeah, pretty close attention. Yeah, yeah, and to to catch those little, uh, uh, you know, they're them in, uh, implying that, you know, Renault took sexual favors in exchange for uh, papers. Yeah, she says if I had to do a bad thing and all that stuff, if you had yeah, to a lot yeah. of it is like it's it's not necessarily what they're saying, but it's how they say these things. Yeah. You're a man, she says. Like, how would you take this if you know that I had to do a bad thing and, and could never tell you about it, but we got the thing that you really wanted? And immediately he's just like, uh. And that's why, of course, he's just like, I don't want you to, I don't want you to ruin your innocence or have your marriage wrecked because of this thing. You're young and in love, and I was once in love. And, you know, in typical Rick fashion, too, he initially kind of well, brushes not it typical, off. That's the thing. He doesn't stick his neck out for anyone. Yeah, I was going to say, in typical fashion, he kind of brushes it off like he was disinterested. But he later goes and talks to the husband and helps him win the money. Yeah, yeah. And he, yeah, it's like that's, that was, is that the point where he kind of starts um, turning around and, you know, by the end, Renault's like, oh, you're you're such an idealist or whatever. And, um, you know, throughout the movie, he slowly, well, maybe not slowly, but at some point he flips and then he's you know, all of a sudden is sticking his neck out for people, mm-hmm. particularly, you know, Ilsa and Laszlo and, um, and then eventually leaves himself to go fight the good fight. I think it has everything to do, of course, with, uh, with Elsa coming back into his life. She he was able to get some closure. Yeah, exactly. I think that definitely. He hadn't, he hadn't worked through those issues. Hadn't, hadn't yeah. Healed. It's like Casablanca was kind of a limbo. Yeah. Limbo for refugees. And he was in, he was in, he was in this, refugee limbo in emotional limbo (laughs) and emotional limbo and just yeah absolutely i mean you know when yvonne's trying to reach through to him you know she's trying to one of those things i I can change him you know he's he's this tragic person and i i want to get through to him and i'll be the one to change him and then she's just sorely disappointed because he just uh he's not into love he's already tosses her aside and she's gorgeous of course and she seems like a sweet person but he's just there's only one person that has his heart and you know they say um the opposite of love isn't hate it's indifference and uh, he's obviously not indifferent to ilsa he's still in love the flip side of that coin is the hate that he feels toward her he's still in it and he still resents her for leaving him high and dry and never telling him that him never knowing why and so he assumes that Mm -hmm. she left him for somebody else and and whatever so um 
he's just carried it all that time, obviously never wanting to hear that song played yeah. again. And he gets pissed at Sam for playing it, but then he realizes why he did it. Um, and then, he, and then it's weird. And, you know, it's interesting. He, he causes himself to suffer, to, to, to go back to that place. If she can take it, I can take it. Play it again. You know? <laughs> yeah. He's just putting himself through that torture. Right. And I, I just had an interesting conversation with my girlfriend about music and about there's these studies that have been done about, you know, um, listening to sad music, how it, how it has its, uh, that, you know, her point was that it had downsides to it, meaning that you could remain in this dark place and that you condone it because other people think the same way. And you hear somebody singing this sad song. And we we can get into that another time because I, I have I, I love my Radiohead and I love I love some pretty good sad songs. But my point is, though, that I, I, I think that it is sad songs sometimes or at least it's a happy song. Right. But it's a song that brings back uh, a certain time in his life that won't come back a certain nostalgia mm -hmm. and nostalgia is a powerful thing right it is a powerful thing and the imagery and the feelings involved um you know they they say psychologists say it's like in order for you to heal you you really have to revisit those places now and experience you have to you, you have to allow yourself to be wounded again and, and shed those tears before you can move on. And it's obvious that that's this movie is in, in, in a way showcasing that it's, it's, you know, he, there he is wrecked at the table. He's drinking himself stupid. She comes in uh, through the door. He's expecting her. And then he, he lights her up. You know, he, 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 oh, yeah. he, he expresses that rage that he has held bottled up inside for so long that no one else has experienced because he's just so cold with them. He won't let them in, but he did let her in. So he's willing to hurt her the same way that he feels. Yeah, he finally gets it out of his system. It seems because after that he's willing to hear her yeah. and let her explain. And then finally, you know, get some sort of closure. Cause he can't let go. Right. Because again, he is in love as again, he, yeah. he, that hate that he expressed toward her was, was a was synonymous was with up. love. It's bound up in it. And so that's why he approaches her in the market. He waits to the perfect time for her husband, Laszlo, to be talking to, uh, I forget that other guy's Ferrari. name. Ferrari. Ferrari, right. How could I forget? Ferrari. So he goes off and as soon as he's busy with Ferrari, then he goes and approaches uh, Elsa again there in the in the marketplace and uh, has to get an answer. He wants to know, you know, who were you with after me? You know, how many and, other and guys? And to your point, like every time, he, it, every time he sees her, every time he talks to her, it becomes easier. And it, it almost like starts getting it almost starts uh forming back into kind of like the the same way he used to talk to her before you know and it becomes a lot mm -hmm. easier and it's it's more enjoyable and then she eventually starts calling him richard again and richard right. oh, back yeah, in france she, <laughs> right she had to uh well sorry he he had to he wants answers in, in a way it's like he wanted to hurt her because he wanted she's the only he, he wanted to make her feel the way she made him feel and so once he had already kind of done that and realized, well, I didn't get what I wanted from it. What I really want are these answers. What I really want, what he really wants is her, but what he wants as well as answers. He wants to understand why she did what she did. It's that empathy. It's closure, guys. You know, that closure, right. Not even just the closure. I mean, I guess the closure since, since she's already well, with somebody I mean, else. It would have been closure for him, but then obviously it kind of escalated into a whole other thing. His, his motives <laughs> even were, after that. Right, no, his motives are definitely selfish in some sense because he he wants yeah. who wouldn't want that kind of love that you may never find in this life kind of thing you know where it's like wow we found each other we'll always have paris right um yeah so uh yeah he 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 wants to rekindle that 
I don't, I mean, I, I wouldn't blame him. <laughs> She's Ingrid Bergman was gorgeous. Um, she is. Yeah. She's beautiful. Yeah. I remember just when I first saw this, I was in, um, I didn't actually get to finish it the second time. I was just watching it and finishing it up. Now I have like 20 minutes left in the movie. Damn. So, I was just um, telling stuff before we started recording. I was like, yeah, I just um, had like 10 minutes left. I was actually watching some of it on my lunch today. Oh, okay. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I finished it yesterday. Nice. Dang. Gosh, it's been years. It's really, it's been since I was uh, 18. I want to say 18 when I saw it, I was in uh, film school and we were, we, we needed to watch it. And so I, I did. And I just remember at 18, just thinking, fuck, she just like stole my heart. Like I, I was just so enamored stunning, yeah. with Ingrid Bergman yeah, and the way is. she spoke and just the light, but that, that has so much to do, not only with, of course, not taking anything from her, but also the the movie is amazing because of the cinematography too. And the lighting, like I, one of the things I was going to bring up that I, I could not help but notice and kind of smiled when I saw was the lighting in the scene when Claude Rains, AKA Renault, um, comes into he follows rick they're talking they're having a little conversation which is always like a chess match by the way i thought that that was really interesting that this little that this uh this whole movie is one massive chess match uh trying to best the other and of course when mm-hmm. you first meet humphrey bogart's character rick he's there before a chess board uh and ugarte comes over yeah. and wants to play with him but but this is this the movie's so sophisticated that what's going on and all that stuff so when claude rains was following him he goes into his room and there's and as he walks out of the scene out he walks out of the um the frame. out of the frame thank you as he walks out of the frame you see him off you see his shadow cast on the wall and you see the cigarette so clearly yeah. in his lips and he's talking you can see it's it's, it's the all... old school film technique where he's uh, he like walks up to the the safe but like um Renault stays in the doorway and then there's like a spotlight shining on the wall between yes. them and so you see rick yeah i, I noticed this too and i thought i kind of got a smile out of it but you see him like kind of like um digging in the safe or whatever and yeah. you know, he's talking you can and you can see the little like cigar yeah, yeah. in his mouth bouncing and yeah. i was like man this is an interesting technique the, that was it's so it's so like the best of that era you know the the everything was so right everything was done so well um uh, you you would hear i would i would hear people talking about how they mourned uh the 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 coming of color of technicolor because so much was lost when we saw when we had color whereas when it was black and white there was so much more skill involved in lighting it's kind of weird to think about because that it was so much more limited you know based on the color but because of that they had to convey so much more through different means right. like the lighting and the had to be more creative you know, lack thereof and yes exactly or lack thereof yeah. and and there's so much more they get to play with too think about the fact that at the time that um that for instance alfred hitchcock came out with psycho there were already color pictures being made but he specifically chose to make psycho in black and white for a very very good reason essentially that there is something um there's almost like by 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 removing color you also remove distraction i i I am a and i would say an amateur photographer um i've been enamored of photography since uh since college since taking the film school and all that stuff and um i like taking black and white images and there is a certain timelessness in them uh and uh, certain qualities that in black and white you with color you could get distracted by certain elements in the in the picture it just your eyes your attention gets moved over all over the frame whereas in a black and white film in a black and white photo even you can just your eyes 
uh, go to the more important things. You, you can mess with certain certain elements, and that's that's a lot of fun to explore. But um, that having been said, those people in that that the cinematographer um, and the gaffer, those people involved with lighting that those scenes, they were at the top of their game. Honestly, I mean, in the 1940s, they were already well into it. Uh, they're into talkies and everything because black and white film had been around since you know the the where they would do the um what do you call that the non-talkies i can't think of whether it's silent films there we go the non-talkies <laughs> the silent films the non-talking uh, films yes the non-talking but uh yeah so so much emotion could be conveyed on all of their faces you know that close-up shot like you were saying before of yvonne when you see the tear coming down her cheek and just all of that expressed it just totally it just cgi happens. by the way you total cgi <laughs> right. bullshit Such a fake tear. they were like oh hold on we're gonna just do a little teardrop thing here silicone tears out of here with that shit in this in this non-world war ii world war ii movie that doesn't exist um to your point with um like all these different techniques that they're doing and with like uh cinematography and stuff i thought it was really quaint and and kind of enjoyable to see really just like the opening shot like how it, it just has like this globe this like textured globe Same. spinning and it's like in like a black like i don't know backdrop or something and they have like, like smoke yeah, yeah it was like fog, fog around like, it. Past it, which <laughs> i guess that's that's realistic right there's fog in space right totally right right, right. yeah fog in the vacuum of space yes yeah ominous clouds <laughs> and um yeah and oh but what i was uh bringing that up for was because before we start recording i think we're still waiting for you to finish eating um steph and i were talking about how we noticed the like you know there's like the little narrator talking and he, he almost has like this like radio voice right and i was i believe i heard somewhere that this kind of got adapted into a radio show and i was just thinking like the concept of a radio show was so interesting that like people that used to be in the place where a TV is now. Right. So you kind of have your radio center and then the seats are kind of gathered around it and everyone would, the family would just kind of sit and, and really focus in on, on the radio as like the show was happening. And mm. you know, that that's kind of like what TV was back then. And you, you kind of, mm. you know, they had to be descriptive and they, they had to really, convey what it is like the emotions through their voice because you can't really see it so um a lot of it was yeah. imagination you had to use your imagination to see what was happening yeah they then they used foley's as well foley's being uh the sound effects the walking the footsteps yeah or like the door creaking open um yeah i you know and and, and in some ways you could even say that radio was was even better in some sense than than any movie because uh any story told where you're the one composing everything in your imagination is so much more personal. It's so much more rich with detail because you're the one creating it in your head. The character looks a certain way to you that if you were to, if you were to draw the person, if you, if two people were told to draw the same person that they heard described would draw somebody slightly different. Cause it's all from whatever we have in our own imaginations. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so yeah, I think that that's, um, that's interesting. Case in point to to back up your statement there, Fifty Shades of Grey, because I know a lot of people that were like, "Really, they casted him as Christian Grey? What the <laughs> hell?" Right. Because everyone right. has their their idea of what like the perfect man or whatever is supposed mm -hmm. to look like, and so not everyone is going to agree on what 
the character should look like even though right. they describe it it's like you still picture it differently sure yeah you can't you, you can't please everybody on that one uh i know dakota johnson was definitely not she was not appreciated uh by by some as the female in that role i think nobody's ever fully when you have a when you have something with such a huge fan base like that you can't you, it's impossible to please everyone like you said mm-hmm. yeah yeah although i didn't but i did yeah I totally did go through that whole like they they cast him as Christian because <laughs> I've totally read him all. Yeah, but um, but they did have somebody else uh, cast there, and then he couldn't do it, and so they had to like quickly find somebody else to just oh damn, just to fill the role. Like, just for the record, who wants a paycheck? Yeah. Anyone willing to get naked for a paycheck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. What I thought was kind of weird, I guess this is something I just discovered <laughs> that I do with movies where it kind of describes uh like a certain path or journey that the characters kind of have to take so i actually went through google maps and i was following the path so they're like oh you start off in, in paris and you work your way down and then to they marseille, have to say and then from marseille, marseille to, Oran, to Oran and then Oran to, to casablanca to casablanca yeah and it's like they're they're talking about how you have to take like a train or a car or something i guess you can't just take the ship directly to Morocco. You have to like stop <laughs> just short of it and then uh, kind of like drive the rest of the way. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that, that was uh that was an interesting track. I watching this, the movie this time, I, I took more notes down. I, I, I don't know what headspace I was in when I first saw this. I mean, being 18, I don't know. Uh, I was probably just really distracted, but um, seeing the, the, the trek that they had to make and mm-hmm. understanding a little bit better why why uh, Casablanca was this linchpin was so integral to the whole refugee uh, movement uh, to Lisbon to get I don't even understand why that's the case I just know that that's the case now better than I did before like, oh okay Casablanca is that point that it's such a wild circle that they have to make right because you start it really up, is a circle in Paris and you have to go all the way down and then you go all the way back up to Portugal Right, all the way back up mm-hmm. to Portugal, and then yeah, because you're you're over in France, and France is almost like right, it's like right, right next, next to right next to it, and you have to go all the way down to come all the way back up. It's almost like, in a way, it's almost like an analogy. It's in in some sense like um, Dante's Inferno or Dante's Div- the Divine Comedy, right, where you have to go. It's like you have to go to hell before you can get to heaven. That that was that idea. So you had to actually literally physically go down on the on the map to then come back up to Lisbon and then go over to the Promised Let Land. Let it be known, Africa is hell. Africa <laughs> to the sweltering heat you know they left paris to go to the sweltering heat of morocco there they're all just like languishing in the sun and actually you know as i was i was following the uh path that they were describing the movie i looked up casablanca like modern day casablanca and i was like man it looks gorgeous like oh, it looks I, like a beautiful yeah, city absolutely I'm here. yeah i actually have a friend who's been to morocco and she had a sister that was doing a study abroad in spain i believe mm-hmm. And so she went to go visit her in Spain. And then on the weekend, they just took a little weekend trip down to Morocco. Oh, and apparently it's beautiful and the food's good and everything's cheap. Is, so. is that the country that is closest to Morocco? I think so. Right. right? The water, yeah, there's only like a little like section of water, right? That that's across. Have either of you read The Alchemist before? I have not. Why I mention it is because, yeah, there's a point where this young boy is um, he does travel uh, to Morocco from Spain. It's just across the way. He makes his way across and yeah. it's like a whole new land and it's just, oh, yeah. it's a crazy adventure that he that he I'm looking at it on. right now and there's just like little a teeny little channel. Mm. It actually cuz uh, Spain dips down and Morocco dips up and there's just a little gap yeah. <laughs> between the two. I didn't I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's a cool it's a cool story. Highly recommend. And since we're thinking about yeah. Morocco, I I have nothing but uh 
I've always wanted to visit Morocco. I know Anthony Bourdain was out there and I remember watching his show and just thinking like, I want to try all that food. I want to see what that life's like. So interesting. Yeah. But but yeah, so not hating on that area. Just that's an interesting thing that they had to do to get away from. Right, well, they had to go right. to un- That's the other piece too that I didn't understand before. The difference between occupied France and unoccupied France. And I don't know specifically why. I don't, know, I don't even know if they really explain why Casablanca is quote unquote ununoccupied and therefore the Germans can't just. I just kind of assumed it was like a neutral, a neutral territory kind is. of situation. Right, a neutral territory. Why, what, why was that agreed upon? I don't know. All I know is it was a neutral territory. The Germans wanted to just like, oh, well, there he is, Laszlo. Let's, let's, let's capture him now. <laughs> but they couldn't um, because of uh, reasons. I don't know. Right. Because it's unoccupied. Political reasons, of course. Right. But that's one of the things that they said at the beginning of the movie I thought was genius. They, they made sure to make mention of it, which at the time would have made sense to anybody else who was living during World War II uh, for them to know, oh, this is occupied and this is unoccupied. But when I heard him say, welcome to, as soon as that ge- that, ma- that captain comes off the plane at the very beginning of the movie and uh, and uh, uh, Claude Rain's character, Renault, says to him, uh, oh, welcome to unoccupied Morocco or something like that. I thought um, that area was occupied by France, though, from my understanding. No, it was. Un- it was like a French territory kind of thing, right? right? But it was unoccupied by Germans. Mean that's what the implication right, is. It's, right. it's occupied by the French. But when they said, you know, oc- when they spoke of occupied France, they spoke of they meant Paris. the Nazi Germany. Right, right. Whereas okay. he he says this, and it's like to let the and it's, in a way, it's to let the audience know, hey, this is this. Here's the reason why the Germans can't just like waylay everybody, put everybody in shackles, and you know, and just run the rule the roost. It's like mm-hmm. they have to play by these rules, uh, so that you're not questioning throughout the whole thing. Like, hey, these Germans are in this in this gin joint. Why the hell aren't they just arresting people that are you know? Or just shooting everyone, yeah. Or just at, shooting at everyone, random. and you're right, exactly. Why isn't this whole thing just filled with filled with Germans? And that, and you get the answer. It's because it's unoccupied. That leads to my question. So, what did you guys think of the city Casablanca in this movie? Like, what were your thoughts when you saw it? Because it's kind of a a melting pot of a lot of people, you know, a lot of different cultures. Mm-hmm. It was pretty mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, I thought so too. It was really interesting. It's, um, you know, you have a, a bit of the, you know, the Moroccan. And it's Morocco, so you have some Morocco going on, but at the same time, you still get like bits of home, I guess, you know, with uh, all the different people that are there. Yeah, and I know there was a heavy uh, French influence there. Mm-hmm. One of the things I noticed that I, I wrote down in, in my notes was that it seemed like a, a very attractive place to be for a lot of people, you know, like both wealthy and the carefree people, as well as the the poor folks with nothing to lose. Like, you know, they all just kind of congregated. They all just met up here in this uh, the city of Casablanca. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, rich and poor alike were it's just the playing field was level to a certain extent. Um, because as he mentions before, as uh, one of the gentlemen mentions before in the um, I can't remember what his name is. He's, he's that uh, kind of large dude. Um, the guy with the glasses. Kind of pasty guy. Yeah, yeah, guy with the glasses. Who is it? Carl the waiter. Carl the waiter. When he goes, uh, when somebody's like, "Oh, okay, why won't Rick have a drink with us?" You know, I'm, a, I'm from the second largest. Uh, oh yeah. The second largest He's banker like the, yeah. in Amsterdam. Bank, yeah. He's like, "Oh, he wouldn't be impressed with that." The the leading banker uh, of Amsterdam is actually the pastry chef. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like the wealthiest. Right. The point is like the wealthiest. It, it, wealth means nothing here. This place, everyone's everyone's the same. We're all in the same playing mm-hmm. field. I think that says a lot about Rick's Cafe American was that um, people were willing to almost like 
take pay cuts and do whatever they needed to do to get to this place because this was where it was everything was happening you know this is right, where either right. that or you're forced you're forced to leave your life to be a refugee there you know right and, and to steph's point were though, those it, people like forced out of their countries or i thought they willingly went to casablanca well, those were people ran to when they were fleeing fleeing you know the nazis right they really had a they had a choice but the only other choice was to die <laughs> so they're yeah. like oh we're gonna go here and try our try our hand in uh in in morocco see if casablanca is any better that's my point was like i almost felt like it wasn't this desperate spot to be it was a place that people willingly wanted to go regardless of this war happening they're like yeah you know let's uh, let's check a take a trip down to morocco let's have a good time there's no germans over there you know i didn't get that yeah, i don't sense. think everyone in the movie i don't think everyone there was a refugee but yeah yeah not everybody but it know. seemed that that's why it was like that's why that one guy made that joke about everybody being you know oh um he says something about not wanting. Everyone's a vulture. <laughs> yeah, everyone's a vulture. That guy's pickpocketing everybody. But no, there's <laughs> yeah. somebody, I forget, he was talking to, somebody's talking to Rick. I think it's Ferrari. And he's saying something about, oh, that's the one thing that we do here. Oh, that's the one thing that's, you know, I don't, I don't like selling people or something like that. Or I don't want to exploit people. And he's like, oh, that's the number one trade oh, here. Oh, right. When, when the, when the one dude was trying to buy Sam or something, wasn't it? That's it. That's right. That's Ferrari. right. He's like, yeah. Yeah. Ferrari was trying to buy him. And so he brings him over and, you know, lets Sam say make his piece that was such but, an uncomfortable uh, scene because he was he was straight up like right. trying to buy him like a piece of like furniture or something you know and he was yeah. and rick was like um you know i don't sell people and he's just like come on everyone's got a price and he, he he's like you know let's uh just think about it and he's like well i'll let sam speak for himself right like an right. actual person that he is right and it, it's uh it's interesting yeah because he does say well in that same vein he does say well you know that's the number one thing out here so point being that there are just a ton of refugees out there so many more people just trying to get out i mean you get the sense of that too when um when you see at the table that, that for before you ever meet rick there's just they're kind of like going table by table and you're seeing these conversations having under on, on in hushed tones where basically everyone's selling something to basically get money to then use that money to exchange for their freedom to, to leave fuck yeah. out of <laughs> casablanca and far far from the german um the germans the nazis uh but uh uh and i like when the the german officers show up too because um you know renault is, is introducing them you know he's kind of welcoming them and they're like okay so how are we going to find these these people that stole these papers and he's like trust me everyone's everyone who's anyone goes to cafe american so um you know he he leaves them over there and the way he says it was everybody comes to rick's and that's mm-hmm. funny because that mm-hmm. was the name of the stage play. So I, was, I like how they did that yeah. nod. Everybody comes to Rick's. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. That's yeah, that is cool. Everybody comes to Rick's. No, it definitely seems. I was trying to say, I was saying earlier, Steph, to your point, it is like a limbo state because if everything is even keel, if there is really such a quote unquote thing as like purgatory or, or limbo, then everybody is on the same playing field. doesn't matter if you were rich in life or you were poor in life mm-hmm. you're everyone's tr- on that same s- level so um i never really saw that analogy before but that's interesting that i i see it so prevalent now throughout the whole movie i'm like oh wow it really is like they're just trying to get to paradise aka the americas yeah uh, michael i wanted to see if you noticed this in the movie i noticed that right after i guess this is towards the beginning of the movie right after rick signs the check like because i think this is before it even shows his face it's just kind of like passing uh you know it's flowing through the the cafe or whatever and then it gets eventually gets to rick's desk and he's like signing off on a check mm-hmm. and then i guess it like pans out and then he touches this white chess piece 
and then the frame shifts right when he touches it. And I thought it was because I was watching on Voodoo. So I was like, wait, did my Internet just glitch? So I rewound it and I played it again. And every time he touches, like after he hands off the check, he touches it with his index finger. And then it, the frame like shifts slightly. And I was like, mm. that was like kind of a strange cut because I, I, I didn't notice any other cuts like that in the rest huh. of the movie. That's interesting. I wonder what the intention. I I didn't notice that. And the only reason why I noticed it was because I'm like, why the hell does he touch that? He he makes it obvious that he's like touching this like white chess piece. It's, it's like a pawn or something. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah, he's like here, move. Yeah, <clears throat> and he's playing himself. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, you played yourself. You played yourself, which again is another analogy to him being in his own personal hell. He's his own. He's his own worst enemy. <laughs> He's his own. That's interesting, though. I I kind of want to go because I I watched it on HBO Max. Me too. And I, I want to. I should I go in there and see if that's in there or if it's something that you know. Because obviously I didn't notice it. Mm-hmm. Oh right, yeah. No, I definitely want to go back and see. I do remember seeing his finger. I was wondering why it was happening. It almost looked like slowly when he goes and touches the piece, but I don't yeah, remember the really jump obvious. cut. It's kind of drawing, but that's interesting. I, I I mean, again, it could just be there. He goes back into that world again where he's just. Uh, punishing himself i think that that's the exact moment where the rest of the movie is just a dream and then it cuts back and then he's still like touching, touching the that, piece and that his pond. fingers coming off the piece <laughs> and none of that shit happened and she never came back into his life and he still he hates died a miserable life in miserable Casablanca. miserable yeah <laughs> how sad that tommy westfall ending the one that everyone loved yes the one that everyone loved yeah. the snow globe <laughs> <laughs> Um, what did you guys think of the Rick character in general? Like, did did you feel like he, you're like, eh, this guy's kind of annoying, or were you like, oh, you know, I get yeah, it? Yeah, at the beginning, I mean, he's kind of he's kind of a jerk, you know, which obviously is the point. And yeah, he's, he's very stern and bitter. Yeah, very bitter, um, and you don't know why yet. Very monotone, right? And then you know, and he, they make it very clear, like he, this dude doesn't have drinks with anybody. They make it clear several times he doesn't have drinks with his patrons and stuff. Mm-mm. And then as soon as you see, he's not impressed by anyone, whether you got money, because yeah. people try to like pay him off and he just rips up checks and he's like, get the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. He does that multiple times. And then, yeah, when, when Elsa comes and he immediately sits down with her, you know, mm-hmm. and um, that's where that's definitely where things start shifting and you start learning. There's more to him. There's a reason he's like this. With this whole plot point, like the letters of transit, like is that a real thing? Like the fact that it almost felt like. That seems too good to be true. The fact that they couldn't be denied or questioned. A golden ticket. Yeah, basically. I'm like, why would you even create anything like that in the first place? That's kind of strange. I'm sure they had stuff like that for the, you know, the, you know, the, the military personnel and whatnot traveling around. Yeah. Vagon. I don't know who, uh, who that person was, but yeah, it was straight from Vagon. And the fact that if it, it was something so valuable like that, you know, you feel like it would be better guarded, but Apparently, this uh, Ugardi was able mm-hmm. to um, kill him. I don't think they ever say directly if he was the one that killed him, but I'm like, this guy seems kind of like a weasel. Is. Like, I don't no, really believe them. that he would have killed those guys. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. He's like the Baelish of. <laughs> Maybe poison them. Yeah. Little right. bird. No, but. Um, little finger. I feel like there's something that that's something that they some, some had something like that in real life. I don't, I don't think that was like a made up thing. Hmm. in my opinion and they use stuff like that and other things too like actually i'm re- currently re-watching all of the pirates of the caribbeans because i don't remember them at all and um in the second one uh what's her face elizabeth swan she your favorite kira steals, that's right yeah she steals um pardon papers and you know has the 
the one dude sign him at gunpoint so that she can get it for get one get the papers for for Will, uh, and even though they're supposed to be for Jack Sparrow. She should just got a parlay. <laughs> hmm. I don't think it works like that when you're about to be hanged on land. Plus, I assume I feel like that's more of like a, a pirate's code. Yeah, it's a pirate thing. But yeah, they, they were in trouble on land, so ah, uh, so that's where the punishment is exacted. Yeah, the. Uh... I just want to say Ugardi was a fucking creeper to me. Like I don't know, I didn't trust that guy. Oh yeah. Oh, I love Peter yeah. Laurie. Peter, that guy was hey, sketchy Rick. as fuck. <laughs> I know, huh, Rick? It's it's crazy. Uh, listen, uh, would you have a drink with me? Oh, that's right. No, you you don't. Yeah, help me, Rick. Help me. Hold on to these papers. Yeah, yeah that's weird. Oh, he's great. He he he's been in a lot of. He's been in a couple of. Uh, at least I know of one other movie he was in with uh, Humphrey Bogart, the something Falcon. I can't I can't think now. He was he was more of like a. He had more of a Maltese Falcon. A larger role. The Maltese that's Falcon. Maltese. Maltese Falcon. He's good in that. Uh, but he also had this one. He was the star in this one movie where his hand is possessed. Idle kills hands. People. Yeah, it's like the old OG idle hands. But he he's so freaked out by that with his big eyes and oh oh <laughs> that voice. Um, yeah, he seems uh, just really unsure. And with this one big deal, this is my last deal, and then I take off. I write my own papers. Did you guys have any anything in the movie that? like kind of bugged you like watching the movie you're like mm, that, that seems kind of weird i don't know why they did it that way why they do it in black and white <laughs> <laughs> for me i it bugged me how sam the pianist played by Dooley wilson i i didn't like how he was so over the top when he was playing like he was like leaning so far away like his fingers are barely touching the keys and well his here's the was, thing like, pointed up Here's the thing. In real life, he was a drummer. He had no idea how to play the piano. And this and so is he apparently to, how they play, like Frankenstein. He had to over-exaggerate it so people wouldn't pay attention to his fingers. And it's <laughs> oh. funny because like, I noticed I noticed, I was watching his hands this time. Mm-hmm. And he was, even though I was playing something like where it's like... Tickling him? Yeah, he's still... Yeah, but he's always playing like this. I saw that too. I saw that too. I was like, oh, but yeah, you don't really notice it because as because the camera trains more on his face and then you know he's he's singing up at the at the camera so yeah, it's like he has you're distracted tilted upward yeah. and he's like yeah. leaning all the way out away from it and I, I figured you guys would notice because you guys both have experience playing piano uh yeah yeah there's that, that yeah I totally noticed it. yeah of course i did too because yeah you're hearing the tickling of the keys and it's more just his hands are just doing this number like uh i think uh i think do you guys know who flula borg is no. flula oh he's this goofy person anyway he's a comedian but i remember when he was on this game show he would he, in, when he's supposed to be answering in you know the questions or whatever you're supposed to answer before you cut to commercial kind of like jeopardy instead of actually like typing it out or whatever like some of the other guests do he was just doing this <laughs> everyone else is here going with like your this hands and, like that like a claw and, and, almost but but like but like but i mean i'm doing it like i'm sitting down <laughs> but like he's he's here and he's just like little t-rex arms yeah yeah exactly it was great <laughs> as he's as he's pressing on the whatever the hell they're pressing on on the screen at their podium but anyway um yeah yeah that's how he was playing the piano was was kind of like that yeah but i also exactly. wonder if it's not that um man it, he doesn't have a microphone he's he's just projecting with his own natural yeah. voice, so it That's makes sense. Had, yeah, he has to. He's got to crane his neck. Throw his voice out there at the audience. Yeah, he has a great voice. Because they're all behind yeah. him too. Most of the people are behind him, so he's he doesn't want to be singing at a pillar where no one can really hear him. He has to sing so that at least his voice gets cast this way. Yeah. So I I, I get and it. You know they they actually thought of dubbing his voice at some point. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, that's which would have been sad. That would have been for sure. Because yeah, he's he's great. Yeah, I thought he had a good voice, really yeah, warm. I agree. Oh, their their whole interaction is uh, there's just, there's just so much understatement. That's what I loved about it. The movie assumes you're an intelligent person. They don't give too much handholding where they that's explain it all the way. Mm-hmm. That's what I was talking about. I feel like that's something that they did back then. I don't know if people were just I don't know more intelligent or something at some point, but um, that was something that I that I noticed about movies back then black and white movies you know i guess because that that was i i feel like it's kind of its own like there was like a different movie language that was going yeah. on at the time it was, it was its own style yeah there was a lot more that you had to pick up through context or you know stuff that was implied rather than explicitly said whereas nowadays you know that things are a lot more explained and so sometimes it makes it a little harder to follow which is i think one reason why like eric i don't really like stuff that's too old because it's a totally different style it's like you know almost a totally different language yeah i i totally get that i mean and, and things again and just it, having that context of you know people living at that time would know what unoccupied versus occupied meant and all the implications yeah. thereof we watching this now have to think of what are those implications and so it adds a little bit more thinking to it i remember as i was watching it this time i felt more stressed and i think it was because i was thinking okay we're, we're gonna have this podcast i want to have something i want to pick up things that are there and i'm like i could feel t- my body tensing up and I wasn't breathing, taking like full breaths because I'm like, oh, and I just remember the thought, the thought washed over my mind. This is over my head. <laughs> I was like, I was like, there's so much going on right now. And when I realized that I was like, oh, well, I'm not responsible for knowing everything. So I'm just going to enjoy whatever it is I do pick up and go from there and just accept the fact that this movie is bigger than I'm capable of, of grasping at, at just through one watch through even, or this being my oh, second yeah. time. So yeah, same here. Second time. I, I just tried Same. to appreciate it and, and was humbled by the level of sophistication, uh, the the themes that they, the, the different, the, the sophistication of the plot, but also of the, um, these interactions and the, the, the subtle ways that they got the point across, you know, um, I, I, I was just like, this is smart shit. I, I have, I'm not on this level. <laughs> and we were talking about how a lot of it was, it's not exactly what they were saying, but it was how they were saying it. It was the body language and you just have to pay attention. Yeah. Otherwise, um, like with that girl exactly. that was, that was talking about like the, you know, do these uh, terrible things, but you know, it's, it's all out of love because you, I'm doing it for like the, the person that I love, you know, I have to do these terrible things or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, she was talking to Rick about that, that girl. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's as soon as she says a bad thing, she says, you know, if I had to do a bad thing, like, he's already wondering what's her angle. Like he's yeah. looking at like, her and she's like, me? why? And why did Renault send her over? Type of yeah, thing? he's just trying to get and he'd already. Sp- well, the thing is, he already spoke his piece. It was already done. Mm-hmm. He'd already said, I you can trust him. He is a man of his word. You know, and she goes, oh, thank you. And then she well, then she proceeds to tell him basically, "Okay, he is a man of his word, by the way what he what she's basically saying to him without saying to him is oh good so if i have sex with him he really will give Mm -hmm. me that ticket i'm not just going to have sex with him and he's not and he's going to just leave me high and dry and me and my husband high and dry so that's when he realizes oh that's what this is about that's that's what's happening Mm -hmm. this is one of renault's girls that's what he was thinking another one of another one of his victims i guess victims you can say. more like yeah and he's looking at her yeah. and he just put his eyes go down and he's just like wow this isn't just like one woman uh you remember, remember renault says he's going to bring in a blonde the next night and he hopes yeah. that she doesn't win she loses yeah, yeah. So, that, so that was the thing was i was questioning why renault was like 
yeah, go, go talk to Rick, you know, he'll answer like any questions you have. And so I don't know if maybe he was expecting Rick to just like give him like, you know, blanket answers or whatever and just send her on her way. Or um, it, it seemed like once he, he sent her over, he regretted because he was like, what the heck? Like you actually helped them, you know, well, yeah. you're so sentimental. He, he was saying like, oh, you're starting to be, you're starting to become an idealist or whatever. And then, you know, it goes on and obviously he sticks his neck out more and more throughout the rest of the movie. And then at the, As the very last begin scene, to unfold, yeah. And unravel. Yeah. He, he accuses him of being an idealist again. And then when, when Renault himself is like the, the German major has been shot and then he pauses and he's like, round up the usual suspects and let's Rick go. Then Rick's like, he's kind of a softy himself. But you know, yeah, even before that, do you, do you feel like knowing Renault's ways and and the way that it was painting this picture, this image about him um, as a person, were you willing to look past that? And you're like, oh, well, he's helping Rick out now, so he's cool in my book. Or were you still like, nah, he's kind of a piece of shit still? I mean, I'm glad that they went off together to 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 do bigger things, and so he wouldn't be there you know doing doing that to people i suppose like like what you guys think of because i know michael you were talking about earlier but like rick's and uh renault's relationship like their dynamic throughout the movie this could be the start of a beautiful friendship such a great because it's, it's almost like they they weren't quite friends to begin with but they, it's like they had a mutual understanding of each other like you don't get my way i don't get your way it's a, much. yeah, it's a mutual understanding of each other. It's kind of a, it's a mutual, not even just understanding of, but respect for each other. You know, I, the whole, I don't get in your way. You don't get in my way. Cause they do at times do get in each other's way. Um, and it's just part of, they respect the fact that, well, this is just part of the way the game's played. It's, it's just, uh, it's not like the way that the major is where he's just, it's all his way or, or the highway kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. gotta be this way. Whereas there's a, there's a, there's a give and a take between the two of those guys. And, uh, and, you know, he, again, just telling him, Hey, I'm going to bring in a blonde, uh, you know, she, I, I'd be, I'd like it very much if she lost. Yeah. Don't, don't mess <laughs> this up for me. Yeah, don't mess this up for me. Like he's, he's not, he's not, he's not holding it against Rick. It's not like this is the last opportunity or this was the one he was totally in love with. The man is an opportunist and he says as much. And so it's oh, like, he's super I think there's something right. He is. And he even says that too. He says, I'm just a corrupt, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just a corrupt official or whatever. Yeah. But he says it in the joking way, but he actually was telling the truth, but he says it because he knows that he can be so, he can be so candid with, with Rick, you know, he's going to get away with it yeah. because they are truly, they actually are friends. If in some strange way, um, they confide in each other, or at least Renault feels he can confide in him and, uh, and pays very close attention to Rick, you know, notice, oh, this is another press. Wow. A precedent is being set tonight. He's, he's paying attention to every, he's a detective. He's, he's watching everything taking there. Are, there's no, no stone unturned here. Hmm. He pays attention to this, these behavioral changes, but, um, I liked, I liked them. I know that it's, it, that he's skeezy. Uh, for trying to just you know take advantage of people who are in a desperate situation that that I'm not going to deny that but I will say what I like about his character is he doesn't pretend to be something he's not he says he's corrupt mm-hmm. he is corrupt he says to them when the major asks him are you well it's funny because he says to what does he say to Rick they're sitting at a table and I had to write it down because it was confusing I was like what does that mean he says to uh he says to Rick something like are you basically i think he tries to ask him like are you going to help them like straight up just asks him are you going to help um um elsa and uh and victor and he and he looks and he looks at him just squarely instead of this whole the way they normally are where it's like 
kind of beating around the bush, real subtle and, and like undertones, just kind of thing. He looks at him squarely and he just goes, are you pro V? And then his whole answer to them is just, are you pro Vichy or free France? And then he goes, ah, yes. He goes, he goes, ah, yeah, that was foolish of me to just say that really in a heavy handed way. And he just kind of like brushes it off. We won't talk about that again. I won't ask you. I trust you. I, mm. I tr- you're, you're not. But when he asked him that, the reason why I brought that up is because the major says something to him about his loyalty. And he says the same thing about trust the, Rick type of thing. No, no. He says to him about his loyalty, about, about Renault's loyalty, asks him about that. And he says, well, he says, uh, he says, I, I, I go where the wind blows. And right now the wind is blowing Vichy. And then I had my answer because he oh, said he, to him. He, so he flip flops. Right. Needed. In a way, mm-hmm. it was interesting because Rick still didn't as, as directly as Renault came at him and said, are you going to help them? He still deflected. Can, can I trust you? <laughs> he still deflected it, but he deflected it in a way that wasn't direct and said and, and didn't say yes or no or or. Um, what's your point? It was like, he, he didn't come out and flatly say it. All he said was, are you pro Vichy or are you free France? So what he did was he, he answered his question with a question like, well, if you're going to, if you're going to throw these tough questions at me, I'm going to throw one at you. How do you like that? And he was like, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I got there you. It is right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, and pro Vichy, of course, being meaning like pro Nazi, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. and right now, and, and he says like, yeah, and the wind is blowing Vichy. And I was like, to the because major, he's he talking says that. to the German officers because he's talking to the German officer. Right. So again, the point is he, he, even to the people that could fucking kill him, he still is still being himself and is saying, Hey, look, I go where the wind blows. And right now this is just who's in charge. So I go with the flow. And you get a sense that the German officers didn't trust him. I don't even think they really liked him. They were just like using him because they're like, well, we need to track down this killer and where these transit papers went. And so this is the kind of the guy that runs the town. You know, he has the most power. So we need right. to work with him and we trust him to uh, find this guy for us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I feel like it's just like they, they have to work with him out of necessity. It's not like they choose to. No, he's not their yeah. he's not their pal. They're not happy to have to be there. It seems you know he greets them with so much uh you know oh yeah he's 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 <laughs> he's just funny. He's a funny guy. Yeah, he's a uh, he's definitely he's definitely like uh, kind of a sketchy character himself. But um, really quick, I wanted to mention the other thing before I forget. The other thing that kind of bugged me about this movie was the arrest of Ugardi in the club. I thought that thing mm. was so cheesy and hilarious. Do you guys remember that scene? Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah, but like what, what particularly the, you know, they like they find him at the the a poker table and he's like, "Oh, well, let me just cash out my chips." <laughs> he's like, "Oh, yeah, I, I uh, got quite a bit today." And then like, you know, he's like counting his cash and then he just like just to run out the door and like hold it closed. And I was just chuckling to myself when I was watching that. It's it's yeah. I I the way I she saw it on the one hand, yeah, I could totally see it as being cheesy, but on the other, I thought to myself, "Well, you're a desperate man. There's nobody <laughs> on the other side of this door that's going to shoot you per se. So, you know, yeah, play along with their game. That's exactly who his character was. Like you said, he's kind of, he's kind of, he's kind of a worm. He's kind of mm-hmm. like a little, little a rat, weasel. like a little weasel. There it is. He's like a little weasel. So he does what a little weasel would do. Oh, he's buying himself. Literally, it's uh, he's smart. He's a weasel. He's, he's, he's crafty. He's buying himself time to come up with a plan. You don't really get what that plan is, but until he does it, but essentially he's like, oh yeah, yeah, can I cash these chips? And so while he's cashing his chips, he's, he's, he's like thinking to himself, what could I do? What could I do to get out of this thing? So he's like, okay, well here, yeah, yeah, I've got his money. Okay, I'm just folding it now. And he's just taking his time. He's just being extra, extra. And uh, 
And there, meanwhile, they, they've been told don't cause a scene per se, like, you know, just, just arrest them and that's it. And, you know, get, let the man have his dignity. And then he, then he bolts and then he starts capping at them when he runs away. And then, yeah, and then, and then hey. he's like begging to Rick, like, you got to hide me. Even though the, the German uh, officers are like literally a second behind him, you know, right. like where, where, what the hell is Rick going to do at this point? Yeah. He's like, sorry, you're on your own. Yeah. Yeah. That was a shit time to ask for a favor. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe earlier, but no, he was too busy playing poker. And even then it was like, uh, would he have even done it? I don't even think Rick liked him. He was just no, like, no, I'll no. hold on to these papers, but, um, I'm not going to hold these overnight. Like you better grab these things, you know, when you're done. Right. That, that, that was really, that was really what it came down to. I think Peter Laurie's character, uh, Ugarte was trying to, get a get a feel for what wh- how rick felt about him could i could i actually be honest with him and tell him that i killed somebody and he tries to allude to it in fact actually rick just straight up asks him about oh yeah i heard these two ger- oh transit papers i heard about but these have know, nothing two, to do with you two right? curry two couriers right and he didn't ask him that he just says like i heard about this and he goes oh yeah i heard about them being murdered and he looks at him and 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 you know ugarti's eyes kind of go away from him. he's like yeah yeah i heard about that that's mm, terrible shifty just the right that kind of and he's like yeah it would and, and he said something like rick's he says he says yeah yeah i i do think something about you now or something like that it's like oh yeah well, he he's i'm impressed i'm impressed by you you now have impressed me but it's like the way he says again it's just like the delivery is fucking ridiculous because you know impressed he's like it's the opposite obviously he's just like so like you're a fucking piece of shit you know killing these people <laughs> these two german couriers um but like whatever but hey yeah, that, sure you're brave that ended up working tremendously in rick's favor in the end it did it did it was all yeah it, it did work out but um that whole exchange between the two of them it just showed ugarti you can't ask for a, a favor if need if the time comes you're not you're not friends with rick you're not you're not tight like that yeah. so so i think yeah. had had rick re- responded a little differently he could have been like hey if it, if the shit hits the fan you could you could you say no me? more fam yeah say no more say less <laughs> um oh i don't know if you notice this michael um another film technique that kept popping up throughout the movie Anytime uh, Ilsa was in frame, like by herself, mm-hmm. it has like this soft, dreamy yes. filter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she yeah. had the, the gauzy filter yeah. all the time. And that's, time. What I was, that's what I was trying to say. That's exactly what you just said right now is exactly what I was trying to get across was as beautiful as she is and her voice and all the great facial expressions <laughs> and all that. They framed her to look so just dreamy like really truly yeah. dreamy in black and as best they could in black and white and it was it worked they pulled out help it get that like fuzzy that that fuzzy thing yeah it's that just dream like uh, state uh and yeah it's it's funny because it was it was painfully obvious to me because when she was in the frame with other people you could see her clearly but then it's like every time yeah. it was just by, her by herself i'm like oh there it goes again right right it is painfully obvious but it's also like what it does is I feel like that was a thing they did back then, you know, with the uh, female characters giving them that that delicate glow touch, and you know yeah. shooting them from above, making them look, you know, elegant and yeah, feminine alluring. and delicate. And, she even yeah. had like that, you know, when um she's kind of like stirring the pot and she gets she eventually 
peer pressure Sam into playing uh, as time goes by. And, you know, Rick like storms over. He's like, I told you. And then they, you know, he locks eyes with Ilsa. And then she kind of has like that, like doughy, like look. She's just like, oh, Rick, I didn't know you were here, you know? And like, she yeah. almost has like the, like her eyes are kind of watery because she's like so emotional from listening yeah, to the song from him as playing. well. Yeah, exactly. No, that was brilliant. But I, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's a device, right? It, it's it's a tactic that they use to also convey that this is the love interest, and that um, you know it's almost like it's a device that's meant to uh, make us feel a certain way, like when we were head over heels for somebody, right? Like you do see a certain glow. It may not be how the person truly is, but you can't help but see them that way. And so it's like, in a way, it gets the audience to, in some sense, empathize with Rick and feel the same way Rick. To, to get where Rick is coming from. Cause she is so beautiful. Um, but you were and, saying your point was that she was, she's gorgeous even without all that, but they were still like, they, they almost felt like they were still using these uh, techniques to, to make sure that everyone was on the same page. Like everyone was on the same boat. We all are attracted to Ilsa. She is gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she has this uh, timeless beauty. She's the Helen of Troy. <laughs> essentially sort purposes. of yeah everyone's kind of like going out of their way bending over backwards to make sure uh she's she's uh, taken care of and she's helped right right the woman that sent a, a thousand men to war or something like that mm-hmm. the face i'm sorry the face that sent a thousand ships to war i think it was anyway yeah yeah they definitely it's an interesting device that they that they used and yeah it definitely gives you that sense i think when they're in scenes together when it goes from one to the other i and I could be wrong, but I thought that they had him kind of framed that way too. Oh, did they? Huh. Okay. In a sort of. I was just gonna say I was gonna make a joke like, what if uh, Rick was also like that? Like he was just like all soft he's looking, all, and he was just he's like, like this with his. He's all pursing soft. his lips. He's all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I missed you. Yeah. <laughs> I missed you, baby. <laughs> with the head bob you just right, exactly <laughs> i missed you i totally missed that <laughs> i missed you baby that that might have been a good thing stuff that you missed that's, it that's <laughs> right. My, right that's my uh that's my sort of um what is that johnny depp slash more like uh <laughs> rolling stones what's his name i can't think of his name right now mick jagger or? mick jagger yeah that's my that's my jamie fox mick jagger impersonation <laughs> jamie fox doing mick jagger you imitating jamie fox yes imitating, imitating Mick jagger, Mick jagger. <laughs> <laughs> imitating rick blaine <laughs> imitating rick blaine exactly it's it's pretty meta it goes it goes deep so something i thought was an interesting direction to take with ilsa was that they they almost did kind of make her a little bit of a a troublemaker like a, a potster of, of sorts mm. like she knew what the fuck she was doing she was like okay i'm i'm in this place that rick owns i'm i'm just gonna try to smoke him out like she kept you know she was asking she was like so uh where's rick at and sam was doing his fucking best to to try to lie and deflect or whatever but she was like mm-hmm, okay I know how to smoke him out of whatever hole he was hiding in. And so that's play when it. she <laughs> do it, play it. She, she, she was like, do it, dude. Twisting his arm behind his back. He's like, okay. And no, so she got he, him in like a, in a half Nelson. She's like, fucking do it, dude. <laughs> fucking do it. You know what's good for you. She calls him boy. And that was really, I thought, that's interesting. I, I had always, I'd heard, uh, she did. She's all, what's, uh, what's, what's his boy's name or something like that? Or, yeah. And I was like, huh. And I, and I'd heard that that term was like derogatory. I'd never, I'd never mm. known that before, oh, really? so that's why I was like, I was oh. thinking maybe it's just like part of his gang, like his boys. Um, what's the boy? I think she said, like, what's the boy playing or what's that boy playing? 
And I was like, oh, I, I don't know if that was like a, it came to be, at least nowadays, it's, it's seen as not a good term for, for somebody. Mm-hmm. I think it was something that, that, uh, now I'm going off on a whole other tangent. Um, but yeah, this is, I guess it was something that slave owners would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it was like demeaning or whatever. Um, demeaning, right, right. I, I didn't even catch that at all, which is kind of strange. Yeah, so I feel like I picked sure. up a lot the second time around. The second uh, time I watched it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what that if that what what term that was meant to how that was intended. Um, and I don't think that it was meant to be racist in any sense. But like, wonder what it what that meant. It was interesting because she only says it that one time, and then she after that she I think she said Sam or his man or something like that. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, she she had a rapport with Sam as well. Like, you know, when it does the flashback to Paris, um, they I think that's when they both met Sam for the first time, right? He was playing right, right. In a cafe up there. Yeah. They were in La Belle Aurora or however it's pronounced. Oh, sure, sure, yeah. I yeah, worth it down because yeah. that was a cool shot too, where the the floor was lit, the shadow on the floor of La Belle aurora was on the was on the floor yeah the shadow was on the floor and then the camera just kind of slowly pans up to them i noticed that because the words were on like a window or something and so they were on the window sunlight shining into the door was displaying the name onto the floor yeah i thought that was was so cool it was like yeah like a quick like two second shot and then it pans up Mm -hmm. so you knew what it was Mm -hmm. and that's the last time they have a drink together and that was kind of crushing as well because now that now that I've seen the whole movie once through before, knowing that she's keeping a secret from him, knowing that she's already, you can already tell, like he's like, what's wrong? He can kind of tell something's wrong, and she's just like, oh, nothing, and she's just looking lovingly in his eyes and just taking it all in, knowing that she's not going to see him again, or thinking at least she'll never see him again, and him having no fucking clue. Yeah, totally oblivious because she she already knew like wh- how this was going to end, and Rick right. was like talking about like yeah we should get married, you know we should go here, and it'll be great, and she was just like yeah 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 uh-huh, uh-huh. exactly let's get married, Letting and she's like oh married, and she, yeah, but uh, had she found out by then? Yes. And was it like that day that she found I out? I think so. I think so. That Laszlo was alive. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she would not have let him on had she known he was alive. She really yeah. thought he was dead, so that's why it was yeah. so fucking doubly crushing for her. And that brings up my next. That brings up the question that I've had that I was curious about what you guys thought. Who loves her more, Laszlo or Rick? So I'll I'll let you go, Steph. I I feel like it's kind of hard to say because we don't know laszlo's whole history with her Mm -hmm. because i think just from watching this i I might say rick you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and i guess it you know you could you could pull the whole argument like you know if you love her let her go he does that whole thing Mm -hmm. um twice you know he he well i mean obviously he he holds resentment the the first time he had to let her go right well, she, Maybe she let him go. That. He never let her go. Yeah, she <laughs> let him go. But um, you know, when when he he tricks her, you know, he, or I don't know if he initially intended to actually go with her and then change his mind later. But um, I kind of feel like, I guess that's another question. Like, did did he did he always have that plan in mind that he was going to trick <laughs> trick Elsa and then send her off with Laszlo? So I, I think um, initially he did plan on keeping the at least like one of them for himself. And then he, you know, he was torn with the idea like me, you know, maybe uh, Ilsa and I could go, whatever, you know, we can run away together. But um, I think even before that, he knew that one of them was going to be his and that he was going to be getting out regardless. But then yeah. something changes. Um, and I think it was when they kind of have that heart to heart, you know, when she's like fucking about to <laughs> cap his ass. Oh no. I think the turning point now that I think about it was when, 
Laszlo narrowly escapes that like meetup and you know he's like all bleeding or whatever and um the guys are are kind of talking it out and he really gets a sense for how much he cares about Ilsa because um Laszlo is talking about like he's like a um I don't know what happened between you guys but obviously uh she cares about you you care about her how about if if you're not going to give me one of those transit papers, at least give one to her so that way she can get yeah. up out of here. And so I think that's when Rick was he like, has huh. a little respect for him. Yeah, I think he he started to come around because there was always that un- uneasiness between them. Like, because, you know, there's that love triangle, like they both love the same woman. And I think Rick doesn't find that, find out uh, Laszlo's stance uh, on like the whole situation until that moment because from all he knows, he, he's just like, man, this motherfucker stole her away from me, you know, fuck this guy. Yeah you know off screen we see how much he actually loves her because he's just like he's like you know i'll I'll do anything for you i i really do love you and i'm, I'm gonna get out of here you know he's laszlo's talking to, to ilsa this way like when they go back to their their like hotel room or whatever and then he you know they sneak yeah. off uh, to that meetup but i felt myself struggling to root for rick like rick and elsa's relationship because i felt like in a lot of ways laszlo you know he's he had a lot going for him. I almost felt like the the odds were were heavily stacked against Rick because the story obviously wants you to root for that relationship. But um, I felt like Lazlo's just like the younger, more likable, more charming, um, more important person. Yeah, you know, like he was he uh-huh. he was much more important than Rick. Rick was just kind of like this guy that yeah. like owns this club. But Lazlo is is doing something you know that's going to affect the the course of this war and he's you know he's like fighting for this important cause you know it just made more sense for ilsa to be with lazo because she's actually married to this guy she knew him before she knew rick um and that was just you know she was only with rick because like you know she was she was sad about losing her husband or so she thought and she was lonely and she was scared and so that kind of um you know rick in this case was the one that was intruding on their relationship and I, I just felt like Rick isn't isn't really like a likable guy himself. He's he's yeah. rude and standoffish and and really unenthusiastic about a lot of things. He he doesn't really stand for much of anything. He, he you know he just kind of like agrees with everyone so that way people leave him alone so that way he doesn't have to really like come to a, any conflicts. You know, and whereas like Laszlo is willing to die for his beliefs and he stands up for what he believes in. And, you know, even like when the Germans were singing that song in the in the club and then Laszlo is brand new to Casablanca and he's able to round up these people and and back up him himself in singing this this uh, the French national anthem. Right. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, but that's only because Rick gave them the nod. (laughs) <laughs> they look over at him because he walks over to them and he's about to he's he's going to ask them for it or at least they ask he does ask they look over to rick and rick just gives them a nod he doesn't even know what he asked but he just says like do it whatever it is like go ahead <laughs> and do it, it. yeah so, but i do feel like i do feel like everybody knows who laszlo is he seems to be a pretty famous you know resistance he's a popular guy member. Yeah. and even rick would say that too he's like yeah he, he says i think laszlo says oh you're pretty well known in these parts and he's like well you're known Rick says to him, and you know, you're you're known throughout the world. Yeah, um, exactly. for what you do. Yeah, and then also, yeah, and that's a. I think that Rick sees that um, it's not just Laszlo; it's also Ilsa that's part of their team, and he she could do a lot more. You know, she could do a lot more good. You know, by Laszlo's side than than just running away with Rick. 
Um, and then Rick decides to, at some point, decides to go off and do some good himself. But, you know, as he says it towards the end of the movie, he says, where I'm going, you can't follow. Yeah, well, it's like, right. I, it, it almost seems like everything just makes more sense for Ilsa to to be with Laszlo. Yeah. And it was, there's, there's so many things stuck against her and Rick. Like, it just... It would have been worse if they got together. Like it would have been worse for both of them to be together because they would have both suffered together, and then you know nothing would have been accomplished. Well, he said it. He said, you know, you'll you'll regret it. You know, maybe, maybe not, not now. Soon, yeah, not maybe not now, maybe not soon, but yeah, eventually you'll regret it. And for the rest I, of your life. I think he was right, and I think she knew that he was right. Who knows? Like it, it seemed like it was such a short-lived relationship. It could have just been lust. Yeah, it, it was, like it, maybe, was it true you know? love? I don't know. Yeah, they they really didn't know each other that well. That was <clears throat> that was also what was established too. Was uh, they they didn't no no questions about their pasts. I, th- I remember them talking about yeah. that, and so that's why you know when she asks him a Frank for his thoughts, and that was a, such a touching scene for me. Um, He's like, where I come from, it's a penny, but I guess that that tells you how much uh, our thoughts are worth in America. <laughs> yeah, he, he says, oh, that's what my thoughts are worth or something like that, uh, you know, and she goes, well, I'm willing to overpay. And I thought that was such a sweet thing for her to say, too. I was just like, she Fuck. wants to know yeah. more about him. So yeah. playful, right? Yeah. She wants to know more about him. It's true. But uh, so I asked if, if, you know, who loved her more. And so I still I still think that I mean, to me, it's hard to say because you really don't know their past, but you know what you know what she says about Laszlo and she, way she explained their love to Rick was she he was this charismatic person that was older that uh, Laszlo was that she. I would she, argue that um, Humphrey Bogart was older. He looks hella old. Right, right. He was much older, but but Laszlo was still older than her when she was coming up, and mm-hmm. uh, so she she was he was basically her first love, and so she fell in love with his charisma and his. Uh, his desire to help other people but does that necessarily mean she should be with somebody who's like that because on the flip side my my perspective on on that watching their interactions and everything was um he's more concerned with freeing people the cause than he is with her feelings because he's not even paying attention to how distraught she is when they're there at the club he's noticing things but he's actually not even bringing it up with her not asking her how she feels and noticing with and acting asking her about that with concern he's just kind of like ah, oh, whatever you know i've got i'm trying to get us out of here and on to the next thing and the next thing all these other objectives whereas rick's concern is her as soon as she comes back into his life it's her always her and then he tells her the very thing he tells her to get her to leave with him maybe you're maybe not today maybe not tomorrow but someday you'll regret this you know Mm -hmm. he does it out of his love for her um do you think there's any obviously what he did at the end of the movie it was heroic and it you know that you're like man that's a that's a hell of a move you know Uh, yeah you know let's applaud rick for for that courageous kind of switcheroo swerve that he did at the end because he didn't know how things were going to turn out for him, but he was willing to sacrifice that, you know, so that way she could leave and be free. Right. Right. And, and I guess, again, it just comes down to that question, like, okay, you you guys mentioned before something that was interesting, how she could do more good being with Laszlo. And if nothing else, just him having her by his side would probably would, would be a, a great boon for his, strength for his courage because then he knows he has the love of this great woman uh with him but i'm wondering like well isn't isn't he just using her then too (laughs) is is that not using a person and 
will her life have been spent well that way? I think at first it it seemed like he, all he really cared about was like, sure, you know, um, it was nice having her around. She's easy to look at, right? Easy on the eyes. But I I felt like as we, that was almost like surface level. And then as we got to know more about Laszlo, then we we learned that, you know, he, in those intimate moments, those candid moments, he does tell her, like, he takes a moment, like, obviously he has some important business to do, but he's like, hey, I just want, I want to let you know, like, I, I love you so much, you know, and. Like I, I want you by my side when when uh, we leave for Lisbon. Mm. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think that um, I don't think that she's being used or anything like that. She, I think she knows what she signed up for. She's been in this since before he was put in the concentration camp and before she thought he was dead. And then she goes right back into it as soon as she finds out he's alive and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sure she's a, she was in love with him, is in love with him or whatever. But I think she's all in on it too. I think it's one of those situations where. You know, she's a lot more integral to the cause than people would realize. But of course, she can't be like the the face of it because she's a woman in those times, you know, kind of thing. Mm. Um, but I yeah, I feel like it's one of those situations where um, Laszlo would probably say that or feel that uh, he's probably not he couldn't be where he was without her kind of thing, you know. Mm. Yeah. And um, I would even say I could even I could see a scenario where maybe laszlo was boring or something wasn't wasn't as exciting and so that's why she she liked the danger of being with uh, this other man but i'm like honestly y- you can't get more dangerous and exciting than what laszlo's doing you know what i mean oh yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah they're risking their lives every day they're on the run literally you know for their lives and right and rick's just kind yeah, of like hold just... up and he's like he's like hey i just want like a simple life or whatever and he almost has like he that vacation he almost kind of has like that that puppy dog kind of love where he follows you around you know and he, he's like i'm not gonna let you go i'm not gonna let you have my sight and i could see where that could kind of wear wear off you know like the love could wear off um not long after yeah. like once the um you know like the the honeymoon phase i guess uh wears off mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. right because they never really got to have more time together to to see more than well, to get to know each other, she was, they're just so curious about one another. And, and, and I noticed when he goes up there and he's leading the whole, um, the whole bar in singing the French national anthem, uh, or that French national song, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you see in her eyes, that doughy look, right. The doughy eyes. Mm-hmm. And she just seems to basically be falling back in love with them again. I, I noticed um, that too. Yeah. I was like, and so, Oh damn. Okay. So, and that also shows like her dynamic with him, but one thing I will say is that the director made sure that they didn't have any kissing scenes, her and Lazo, because I think they would still wanted you. They were saving that moment for her and Rick. So they wanted you. Yeah. They don't want her to like bouncing back and forth, like making right. out with both of them. She right, saved right. that kiss, that like one kiss for Rick. Mm-hmm. And that was like the passionate, like hot scene. You're like, oh, damn. OK. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, they kissed in the flashback, too. The kiss in the flashback. Oh, yeah, that's still the glass. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Which is almost like an well, omen. That over-the-top kissing where they're like almost like massaging each other's backs while they're mm, kissing. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a back then thing too. Yeah. I did want to to mention <laughs> the hilarious market scene where uh, the merchant was upselling oh. the cloth to Ilsa. Yeah, friends of Rick. Oh, for friends. He started off with at, at 700 it's, it's francs. 700 francs. And then yeah. as soon as Rick shows up and starts talking to her, he's like, oh, you're a friend of Rick. Well, now you get the the friend discount, which is 200 francs. And they he has like a sign, right? Yeah, yeah. He drops it down like so far. I'm like, damn. Yeah. 
And then he's like, well, uh, since I see that you're a close friend, we have like the close Rick friend discount, which is like 100 francs. Really trying right. to sell her on that cloth. Right. A hundred. Right. That, that cracked me up. I was like, man, these guys are they they have no no shame at all. Right. Well, I mean, they're there to make a deal. I, I you know, it's funny to uh, it's funny to live uh, in a country where uh, there's a set price for everything. Cause we, we take that for granted, you know, and we count sales tax, all that shit. It's just, it's just, that's what it is. And that's all it's going to be. Whereas, uh, you know, you go to another country, you go out there, um, and everything's bartering. You're, it's expected for you to barter. You, you know, mm-hmm. if you take it at the listed price, you, you're a fool. You'll, you'll overpay for something. So it's like, you know, there's this whole there's this whole dance that exists between the vendor and the potential buyer, where it's like, no, oh, it's seven hundred. No, I'm not paying anything more than a hundred. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, I'm willing to go down to five hundred. You're like five hundred. Yeah. That's still too rich for my blood. I I could pay maybe like two. 200 like "Mm, make it 250 and we'll have a deal like all right you got yourself a gat dang deal you know what i mean (laughs) it's kind of like part of the fun of the whole thing where we barter there's no real set price Mm -hmm. on it um so yeah that's 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 interesting to see just that dynamic play out where yeah oh these uh, he's just desperate to get rid of that and that's like like that was a pretty big uh what i don't even know what the hell that was like a tablecloth or something (laughs) yeah it, she was and she made it known she was like i'm not i'm not trying to buy anything you know i'm just kind of browsing and window shopping and he's just like he's like yeah 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 700 francs but everybody has a price that's the other thing too and so he's just thinking mm, she's looking at it she's literally even if she's wasting time she's looking at this thing true so yeah, yeah. i have her i got her she's i got one on the hook you know she was, so i mean she was basically just killing time while um laszlo was talking to ferrari right right yeah, so that was a uh, that was pretty funny. Well, I just wanted to before uh, we we wrap up on everything. I I definitely want to discuss just like the many pieces that were at play towards the end of the movie. So this is like right after I think Rick kind of internally decides that he's probably going to just give the the two letters of transit to Laszlo and Ilsa, and then right after that, Renault. That motherfucker, he was just like, gotcha. And then he, you know, he uh, arrests him for like, I guess, like having the papers and he was going to convict him of killing those those German couriers. Right. For the Mm -hmm. papers. Mm -hmm. And then um, that's when Rick kind of hits that swerve on him. And then he has that gun, which another old movie trope is like the the aiming the gun from the hip. Because she mm-hmm. does right. it to him too, right? Holding your elbow down, yeah. Yeah, like uh, Ilsa does it to him. Like he turns down and it's like, done. And then like it pans down and like you got that like little pistol by your hip. Mm. <laughs> and I always thought that was just so funny. Like why do they always aim like that? Like, Gotcha, Seka. No idea. That's a good question. And, th- and that's like something that they, uh, I guess that was just what people did in all the movies. So it's like, well, I mean, since everyone else is doing it, I guess we might as well keep doing it too. Maybe it's just a fad, like, you know, holding the gun sideways or something. Maybe. Yeah. 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 And it's not even until I think more recently where these actors have been taking like actual gun training for like any role where they handle a gun. Cause before I felt like you're just, you kind of do like the whole like hand on the bottom where the clip is. Right. right. But like, if you, anyone that has actual uh, gun training, you know that you, you uh, put your fingers over your grip and then like you make sure your thumbs are not in the way of the slide, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. You get a good purchase on the handle and you like, yeah, you got to move. Can, your you can control the gun better that way. Like when mm-hmm. you put your fingers over your, the, the hand that's uh, grabbing the actual grip. It's almost like the barrel just comes out of your hands. It's kind of an interesting <laughs> way. You really have control over this thing. Um, 
but yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, shooting from the hip like that. And, uh, you know, you'd see gangster movies where the guy would have a guy would have a gun in his, in his coat pocket, in his suit pocket. And he'd be like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna plug you if you, if you don't uh, give me that money. <laughs> Old timey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Listen here. See, listen here. I'll give you a plug. I'll plug you full of lead. And that, I guess that was another fact, too, is everyone talked like that. Well, yeah, the, that's the transatlantic accent. It was actually, people were trained to do that. that so Humphrey Bogart does oh, it. Oh, really? But Sam doesn't. Yeah. You listen to Humphrey Bogart, rah, 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 the way he talks. You know, Humphrey and Bogart. all, the, all the, the ladies in those classic movies talk the same way, too. And there's there's a show, I think it was like a Amazon Prime show or a Netflix show or something. I want to say a few years ago called Hollywood, I think. And... um. It has some, some, it was kind of like a, what if things were different? And um, what if like they, they had allowed a black act- actress to be a lead? Um, and how might that have changed race issues in Hollywood back then kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it has, you know, it has, uh, you know, people playing some famous actors from the time. It, it kind of, it it's one of those alternative history kind of situations. So, mm. Uh, you know, black actress ends up getting the lead role. She ends up winning awards and it kind of changes Hollywood in, you know, in that alternative universe or whatever. But at one point there, they actually show um, all the ladies in uh, all the actresses in the class, teaching them how to have that accent that all the <laughs> Hollywood ladies, yeah. leading ladies because have. Because that was the thing movies, to do. You know? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Transatlantic. Yeah. I think another Another trope, which I, I feel like just wouldn't fly in today's movies, was the fact that it's like, yeah, call the airport and, and call your dogs off or whatever. He's like, okay, okay, I'll call him. And then he like calls the German officer guy instead. And yeah. he's just like, he's like, oh, yeah, uh, you guys. Hello, uh, airport? Yeah, <laughs> hello, hello, airport. airport. <laughs> is, this, is this the airport that I'm speaking with? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is this Mr. Good. Airport? Is this Mr. Airport? Am I speaking? <laughs> speaking. Excellent. I thought it was pretty slick of him because, you know, he plays off pretty well. You know, it was like super naive of Rick to actually assume that he was going to call the airport right. and not like call for backup or anything. But, you know, I actually mm-hmm. thought like tipping off the, the general or not the general. Um, was he just the like major. a lieutenant or he was a major? He was a major. And yeah. uh, major like t- tipping him off. I almost felt like he should have been at the airport sooner because he leaves immediately. But, you know, who who knows where he's at? He could have been like all the way across town or something, you know, mm. because yeah. obviously the airport was like super close where the the cafe was stationed right at the end of the runway you could see the planes flying overhead right right mm-hmm. which is kind of a shitty location to be in seriously loud <laughs> but um yeah and so he he shows up fucking late and by that point i almost felt like it was kind of strange how they see the plane taken off the the german officer isn't even trying to stop it himself like he's not like Guys, get in the car and it's like shoot like that plane stop. or anything. Yeah, they're just like they're like, well, Renault, you stopped the airplane. He's like, well, sorry, it's out of my hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it Rick that kills that German guy eventually? Yes. Yeah, because he, you know, he's he has that like he's, call- he's picking up the phone and he's about to make the phone call or whatever to call for and then backup Rick, or whatever. Yeah, Rick kills him. Well, they shoot each other, right? And, no, he just he just I thought they I shot at the same time. Stressor. He plugs him. I don't think so. Pl- yeah. He plugs him. The, the medical term is plugged him. Yeah, he plugged yeah. him. Yeah, it's medical, strictly. I'm pretty I'm pretty, pretty sure that Rick was the only do- one that did any plugging at that point. <laughs> um. Well, if the, if the German then, guy did shoot, I mean, he was like 
way off. I don't know if maybe he, because he was getting shot, like maybe his aim went uh, astray or something, but I was like, man, that's a terrible shot. Yeah, so he dies, and then what, everybody else shows up? Oh, yeah, his uh, the rest point? of his crew shows up, and then that's when uh, Renault actually stands up for Rick and, and yeah. uh, helps him out. And he could have been like, apprehend him or whatever, but instead he's he they look at each other and... You know, they come to a that goes with a what we're saying. Understanding. Yeah, because we know that Renault is a, he's an opportunist, right? <laughs> like how you guys are saying. So I right. think he saw an opportunity here. He was just like, "Hey, we're both smart guys. We both know how to play the game. And I bet if we relocate someplace else, we can build ourselves a little empire, or whatever. You know, we can do this. This whole well, they uh, plan to go off and uh, he mentioned they plan to go off for. Uh, I can't remember what the what the group is called, but it's like Free France something, and they they plan to go off and do a, a join a resistance group themselves. Yeah, I mean we'll we'll see because I still don't trust that that right. sketchy Renault. But um, that's at least... where that whole uh, this is the start of a beautiful friendship line. Exactly. Comes in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How beautiful is this friendship? I don't know, but I feel like if Rick's a smart guy, I don't I don't think he would trust Renault as far as he can throw him. Yeah. 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 But yeah, it's a it's a good twist. It was a that was a nice little a yeah, a little swerve and one final swerve at the end of the movie that I don't yeah. think a lot of people were expecting. Yeah, <laughs> and it was never actually revealed why Rick couldn't return to America. That was like yeah. the final note that I took because right. I'm like, why can't he go back? <laughs> he never no, says. It's cool. Yeah, it's, it's cool. It's that was another thing that I appreciated about the movie was that it it gave you enough information to want more information and never like explained everything and that would have i mean with only so much time and uh, i think it's an hour and 42 hour and 46 right yeah around uh, there. yeah run, run time it's like do you really want to waste valuable time explaining certain things that may or may not make sense and may not add up all the way or do you want to just get to the story part get to the love scenes and mm-hmm. and just trust us and and still want to know more kind of like uh kind of like uh christopher nolan in some of his films hmm. leaving you yeah, with true. more questions I do like the fact that he doesn't sure. overexplain, but I do feel like sometimes he kind of introduces uh, a few too many elements where you're just like, <laughs> okay, this is getting a little, that's a little it. much. <laughs> that's my, that's my only other concern with it is I'm just like, okay, do I really like, I mean, I love Memento, but it's a, uh, that's a tough one. I'm like, does it all add up though? Does it all add up? There's too many Does it parts, mean dude. anything, you know? Does and it that's, mean that's anything? Who is Sammy Jenkins? Okay. At the end but of the day, once you yeah. finish the movie, I still don't know what the hell is happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's different. Whereas Casablanca. Have you ever watched it in order, in chronological order, to see if it all adds up? I haven't, have actually. But I know there is a cut that way. I have way. not. I, yeah, I heard that there's a cut that way. Right. I, I heard that too. In fact, I heard that there was a specific DVD director's cut or whatever. <laughs> and it was like, oh my gosh. I was like, Dad, you got it. I was like, all right, I'm going to look it up online. And we're like looking up the way. Like we thought there was some sort of thing in the menu, kind of like, you know, you would Press play. up at like two minutes, yeah. 30 seconds or whatever. Right, yeah. right. Doing all this shit. None of it happened. Some <laughs> some fools were trolling us on the fucking internet. You and your dad were doing okay. this? Me and my brother, we did. Oh, your brother. Okay. My dad's at work and he left it with us. He's like, oh, yeah, if we could watch it going forward, that'd be really cool. I'd love to see that. And I'm like, okay, so Paul and I, that was our little mission for the day. That is a wrap, folks. Thanks for joining us on our one-year anniversary episode. Uh, it still sounds weird to say that, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> like, like I can't believe it's Aww, been one we've been year. Doing this for a year. How awesome! Yeah, it's crazy. But you know what? We're still going strong, and best believe we have plenty more episodes coming your way. Yeah, we do. And uh, keep this hush hush. But if you made it to the end of this episode, then uh, check under your seat. There's a letter of transit <laughs> hidden for you. 
Use it wisely. <laughs> Use it wisely. <laughs> um, any final thoughts or closing comments? Um, yeah, it's definitely. I guess it's a it's a classic for a reason, right? Cinematography wise, story wise, I enjoy it, and I'm sure I will enjoy it again. Listen, mm-hmm. Casablanca is not my favorite movie, and is actually far from it. But I get that this was a, a trailblazer, a, a masterpiece yeah. in writing, filming, acting, directing, all all the the um elements that go into making a movie and i respect Mm -hmm. it for what it did for the film industry but coming from someone that took a liking to movies without any formal education about the industry or anything like that um without that knowledge of how expertly made this film was i still enjoyed it and you know i thought it was great to see the acting the direct and the filming styles of that time and and Casablanca is, is often stated as being one of the best movies ever made, if not the best motion picture of all time. And I think there's something to say about that. You know, um, even regular people like me are still able to enjoy this movie today. And this movie, it, it has something about it. Like it's timeless. It, it aged pretty damn well. And the thing is, it will continue to be on people's minds decades down the line. The, the fact that it's able to do that, whatever whatever this X factor is about Casablanca is that um, this is why it's going to always be towards the top of, of these lists is because it it's a timeless movie. And, you know, here, here. It, it does a lot of these things better than modern movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree there. It's it's still a. I don't know about hard to watch. It's it's all it's intriguing. I learned something new every time I've watched it now, and uh, and that love story just gets you and gets me. Yeah. Gives my heart a little squeeze. I'm like, ooh, ouch. And then you think they're gonna get back together, and then they don't. And you're like, fucking a. It didn't happen <gasps> again. It didn't happen again. <laughs> anyway, damn it, Rick. Damn it, Rick. Just a reminder: <laughs> we are available on all major podcast streaming services, with new episodes dropping on the first Saturday of each month, five a.m. Pacific. A special thanks to the listeners out there for joining Steph, Michael, and I. I love watching movies, digging further into the background of the movies, and and discussing with uh, you guys. So, um, I just you know I, I really enjoy doing this with you guys, and it's a pleasure that we we pumped out fourteen episodes, and you know we still wow. got plenty more to go. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're we're That's really awesome. privileged to be able to do something that we enjoy, and and it's a great pleasure to to use this platform to entertain all the listeners out there as well. This has been Affliction Oz Podcast, Episode Fourteen, Casablanca, and we will see you all next time. Bye.